So we're continuing this morning in our short series in the book of Psalms, and we come to Psalm 3. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 3. Hear now the eternal living word of God. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me. From his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. One of the most famous events in the Protestant Reformation was when Martin Luther was called to what was the Diet of Worms, or German Worms, in 1521. This was an imperial diet, and it actually is just an assembly that was called by the political and religious authorities at the time. And they called this meeting to decide how they should respond to the teachings of Martin Luther. So Luther himself was called to attend before the emperor and representatives of the pope. And he was to answer for what they deemed to be his heretical teachings. And he was promised by them that he would be immune from arrest or harm while he was attending this meeting. But his friends had heard that their plans for him were otherwise. And it was well known at that time that over a hundred years before Luther, there was a man named John Huss, who was one of the earliest reformers. And he was also promised safe passage going to a meeting, but he was deceived and burned at the stake. And so for Luther, while he was on his way to this meeting, a messenger arrived with a warning from a friend. Do not enter worms. But Luther told the messenger, tell your master, that even if there should be as many devils and worms as tiles upon the housetops, still I would enter it. Martin Luther courageously went to this meeting, knowing that his life was at risk, knowing that he was surrounded by enemies who may have been willing to kill him. And it was here he gave his classic reply when he was asked to recant of his teachings. He said, Unless I be persuaded by the words of Scripture and sound reasoning, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Years later, a few days before his death, Luther Luther said of that moment in Worms, I was then undaunted. I feared nothing. 
And Luther's courage has nothing to do with himself, with his own abilities, intelligence, or strength. It has everything to do with his trust in the Lord. The circumstances surrounding Psalm 3 are similar. They take place when David's life is at risk, when he's surrounded by an enemy army who's hunting him. Psalm 3 takes place during a time when David's son Absalom has rebelled against him and is trying to kill him. Absalom gathered an army of thousands, and he's attempting to take the throne from his father, David, the king of Israel. And so David writes this as his own son leads an army of thousands in an attempt to overthrow him. David literally had enemies everywhere trying to kill him. Now, you may never find yourself in David's exact situation or the situation of Martin Luther, but you do find yourself in a world of difficulties. As I've mentioned when we were studying Psalm 1 and 2, the way of the world, the way of living life according to the culture of the world around us is antithetical to the way of the Lord. Those around you in the world who don't have a true relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ are living in rebellion against God. They are his enemies. They're enemies of his anointed, Jesus Christ. And they're ultimately enemies of the way of living life that is laid out in the Bible, the way of life you are called to live. And the sinful ways of the world lead you to being surrounded by difficulties in this life. So in our study of Psalm 3 this morning, we'll see the answer to the question, what do you do in a world of trouble? First, you can be confident in the Lord. And second, you can remember salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 3 is a psalm of many firsts. It's the first psalm with a heading. Many of the psalms come with a heading. And these are not the same as the headings that are added by the translators. If you look throughout the Bible, there's all these headings that are added by translators. If you're reading an ESV version now, or English Standard Version, it would say at the top of Psalm 3, Save me, O God. That is added by the translators, and it's not actually in the original manuscripts. And you'll see them all throughout the Bible, and they'll be in a different print than the actual biblical manuscripts. So you know that they're just added headings. But the headings found in the Psalms are actually in the Hebrew manuscripts. And so this is the first Psalm with a heading in the Hebrew manuscript. And it says, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so this heading actually gives us two more firsts of this psalm. It is the first of a collection of psalms that are ascribed to David, a psalm of David. And it's the first of 13 different psalms that have a head included in the heading a connection to an event in David's life. As I just mentioned, the event of Absalom trying to kill him. It's also the first psalm with this mysterious word, Salah, that no one fully knows what it means. So if you read through the psalms, you'll see this word, Salah, and if you think, I don't know what that means, you're pretty much with everyone else. Now, it's most likely a a musical or liturgical instruction, but no one's really certain. And Psalm 3 is also the first psalm of lament. There are psalms of lament where the psalmist honestly opens up his heart to God. 
He opens up this heart, often full of sadness, fear, and anger. There are highly emotional psalms that record the psalmist's passionate desperation for God to deliver him from his suffering. It's the heart cry to God to be rescued from extreme trouble and pain. And so God has included in his word for us, in his Torah, in his teaching on life, these psalms of lament. And Psalm 3 opens with, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. David finds himself swarmed by enemies. Absalom is leading this rebellion against him, seeking not only to overthrow his father's throne, but also the very throne of the kingdom of God. Absalom is a real-life example of what we saw in Psalm 2. It's a rebel conspiring against God and his anointed king. And in 2 Samuel, in chapter 12, the prophet Nathan actually foretold of this event between Absalom and David. It was as a consequence of David's adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. Nathan said that God would raise up evil against David out of his own house. Then eventually we read this story starting in 2 Samuel 15. Absalom, David's son, conspiring against David and says he stole the hearts of Israel. Absalom proclaimed himself king and then David had to flee the city. And so things looked bleak for David. Absalom had come to Jerusalem and the people were behind him. David fled for his life. He went from being the exalted king to a man with thousands of enemies. And so David laments in this psalm, O Lord, how many are my enemies? David's a hunted man with, with countless foes. And to make it worse, his enemies weren't foreigners. They were his own people led by his own son. His anguish can be felt in the passage. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now, you may not know what it's like to be hunted by an army, but you may know what it's like to feel like you're surrounded by enemies, waking up to face a battle. It could be your workplace. It could be a cutthroat environment. It could be in your families, online communities. It could be among friend groups, at school. It can happen in any group of people, even in churches. You can feel like everyone is against you. Rumors, lies, gossip, misrepresentation. It can even turn into bribery, violence, theft. You may not have thousands of soldiers looking to kill you, but you can have enough enemies. Maybe even just one making your life miserable. In addition to that, you can feel like the whole world is against you. Studying Psalm 1 and 2, you learn if you are in Christ, united to Jesus by faith, in some ways the whole world is against you. It can seem like the government is against you. Big tech, all of the major corporations, the academy, Hollywood. It can seem like the whole culture of our world is against God and his Christ and against you. And the worst of all for David is the accusation, there is no salvation for his soul in God. David did sin greatly. He committed adultery, murder, and 
Now they may have been trying to convince him that God wouldn't save him. This could be true of you. As the world or even a single enemy is against you, it can feel like God has abandoned you, that God won't help you, that God won't save you from your distress. The great 19th century English preacher, Charles Haddon Spurger, wrote of this. He said, It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. You may have these feelings. You and I have all sinned. We've all sinned greatly. It's easy to think that God wants nothing more to do with you. The feeling of complete hopelessness, of being on your own to deal with your enemies, with your sin, or the consequences of your sin. So how should you respond to all of this? David's response to being surrounded by his enemies reminds us of what we can do. In verse 3, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. David's overwhelming situation brings him to remember the Lord. David is a man that we read about in Psalm 1, who meditates on God's word, God's Torah, who knows God's teaching for his life. He knows the promises that God has made, the promises he's made to Abraham and the promises that he made to David himself, which will ultimately fulfill all of God's promises. David claims that the Lord is a shield about him. And this gives us the first thing that you can do in a world full of trouble and difficulty. Be confident in the Lord. David knows that his protection comes from the Lord. It's not his own might. It's not his own military prowess of an army, but from God himself. He knows the promises of God and he relies on them. He relies on God to fulfill those promises. David's now a weak point in his life, fearing for his life and fleeing. It's not the first time he's had to flee for his life. But he knows that God has promised to be with him and will be with him. And even the success or the greatness that David has attained is solely from the blessings of God. It's not from David's own personal greatness. David says, you, O Lord, are my glory. David is saying that the only thing praiseworthy about him is the Lord. The honor and esteem and glory that David gets from others is because of the Lord himself. David's glory isn't in his intelligence, his leadership as a military leader or a king. It isn't in his skill as a musician or a psalmist. His glory is the Lord. God has ordained all the success in David's life. God has gifted him with any talents that he has. And the same goes for you and I. It's natural to seek recognition for your talents or any successes you have in life. But any intelligence or or talent you have are a gift from God. Any success you have has been ordained by God. Your glory is in God himself. David also says, you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. And this is a Hebrew expression, the the lifting of the head for confidence in the Lord. The Lord has the power to raise the humble and diminish the mighty. 
The Lord exalts whoever he wills according to his own good pleasure. And so David knows that God is the one who lifts his head. God is the one who shows him victory over his enemies and his confidence is in God to do this. So where does your confidence come from? Is it your own abilities, intelligence, plans, strategies? Is it in other people, political leaders, movements? Is it money, success? At some point, all of those things will fail you. And David himself had all of those things. He was an actual king. He was the king who united the house of Israel. He was the king who took back Jerusalem and brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. He had worldly success, status, wealth, and power. But at this moment of Absalom's rebellion, all of that meant nothing. So instead, he relied on the Lord. Be confident in the Lord. He has promised to be with you. He has promised to oversee you and protect you. He is your shepherd. He loves you. And so in navigating the difficulties of this life where it can at times feel like everyone is against you, be confident in the Lord. Even when everything is going well, be confident in the Lord. Christians tend to have one of two problems when it comes to reliance on God. Some tend to think that God has abandoned them or left them to fend for themselves when things go wrong. But as we see in David's response to everything going wrong in his life, God never left him and he never leaves you. The other problem is for those who in times of great success seem to forget about God's providence that has gifted them this success. And instead of praising the Lord for their success, they get puffed up with pride, feeling they did it themselves. But regardless of your circumstances, no matter how bad things may seem, God is with you and he loves you. And he loves you with an extraordinary divine love that exceeds your wildest imaginations. No matter how good things may be, let your confidence be in the God of all things, the God who has provided you with life itself. Because he is the God that gives and takes away. And he works all things for good. Works all things for the good of those who love him, for those whom he has called according to his purpose. So David in his moments of weakness, in these life-threatening troubles, cried out to the Lord. He says in verse 4, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Because David knows that the Lord is the one who protects him, because he knows that the purpose of his life is the glory of the Lord, because he knows that the Lord is the one who sustains him, who lifts up his head, naturally he cries out to the Lord in his world full of difficulty. And the Lord answers him. David says he answers him from his holy hill. This is his place of holiness. And you may recall in Psalm 2 that this holy hill is where the Lord declared he would establish his king. The same king from the line of David that God promised would sit on the throne forever. God answered David from his place of his own throne. He answers David in the fulfillment of his promises. God answering prayers can, can sometimes feel mysterious. 
because they're in his timing, the one who is above time and space. So you may not always get the answer you want, and you definitely rarely get it in your own time. But you can know with absolute certainty that God will fulfill each and every promise. You can know that he is working all things for good, even when you can't understand it or you can't see it. You can know that he is with you and that he loves you. And that no matter how difficult your life and your circumstances may get, if you know, like David, that God is your protector, your glory, your sustainer, then you will cry out to the Lord in your desperation. And your confidence in overcoming any circumstance will be in the Lord's ability to overcome, not your own. We see the results, the result of David's confidence in the Lord, starting in verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Although David has a whole army hunting him, trying to kill him, he laid down and slept because he is confident in the Lord's ability. The God of all creation has sworn to protect David, his anointed king. He's promised David that his offspring, that one of his descendants will rule on the throne forever. Even if one of his children at that moment was actively attempting to murder him. David knows that God will fulfill all his promises. He knows that the Lord can and will sustain him regardless of how bleak things look at that time. And you can know that the God who loved you enough to sacrifice his son in your place is more than powerful enough to bring your current circumstances and bring you out of them, no matter how hopeless they may seem. They are not beyond the God of all hope, the almighty God, the all-powerful creator. You don't need to fear. You can call upon him to save you and fully trust in his promises. And so although the Lord sustained David through the night, he turns from this confident rest to a final plea for deliverance. Knowing that his enemies were still searching for him, starting in verse 7, he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessings be on your people. So David knows that it was the Lord who sustained him, but he still pleads to be saved from this situation. And he gives a command to God to arise. And this is an intense imperative in the Hebrew. It means to get up from a relaxed position. He's calling God to immediate action. David's enemies claim that there is no salvation for him in God. David is passionately petitioning the Lord to prove them wrong. He's crying out for the salvation of God, and he's confident in God's power to do so. And the reason he calls upon the Lord is, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. This seemingly odd remark is a sign of public humiliation and disgrace to strike an enemy in the face. David is seeking to be publicly vindicated in what has been a public humiliation in his son running him out of Jerusalem. He also says, you break the teeth of the wicked. And this isn't simply a call to kind of an inhumane violence, but 
The wicked actually are seen as, as malicious animals attacking the righteous. And breaking their teeth would be a way to disarm them. And in all of this, we see David's reliance on the Lord. Because he knows, as he states in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. And this is the second thing we see here that you can do in a world of trouble. Remember that salvation belongs to the Lord. As we read in our responsive reading this morning, Jonah makes the same statement as David in Jonah 2 verse 9. In his passionate prayer from the belly of the fish, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. When you find yourself in a world of trouble, possibly surrounded by enemies, you can know that although you can't save yourself, you don't need to. God has never promised anyone a life free from pain, a life free from suffering, a life free from the attacks of enemies. Being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're what, you won't be violated by people, that you won't be vulnerable to attacks. It could be verbal, psychological, physical attacks even, or abuse. And the lie of Satan is that God won't save you. But in Psalm 3, you see in David's reaction, you see the reaction that is revealed in God's word for you, that your honor and glory are the Lord himself. That God lifts your head and sustains you through the night. And when you get your honor and glory from what others think of you and say about you, then you're vulnerable to their sinfulness, to their fickleness of their opinions. But God has provided a shield for you, in his glory, in the hope that he's given you. The hope that is the salvation in Jesus Christ. And this salvation of God is beyond this temporary world. The salvation God provides is eternal. God is the author of salvation from the beginning to the end. God chose you. He calls you in his grace. He changes you by his spirit and he sustains you until the end by his power. Without that, you wouldn't be saved. No one would be saved. Salvation is completely of the Lord. And since this is true, since God has saved you for eternity, there's no reason to fear the circumstances of life. And in this, you can see how David or Martin Luther or anyone who is willing to face difficult circumstances in their life can do so because their confidence is in the power of God. They remember that salvation belongs to the Lord. And so your faith, your trust, Your confidence belongs with the God of salvation. Now, God did answer David's plea to be saved from Absalom. And when the battle finally happened, David was able to gather his army and defeat the army of Absalom. But David knew his deliverance was completely the work of God. God saved David, his anointed king, from physical death at least for the moment. But it is through the physical death of Jesus, the greater anointed king, that God saves you. Through his death, the greater king, Jesus Christ, provides a greater salvation. Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of your faith. And just like David's suffering led to his glory and victory, 
The suffering of Christ leads to his glorious victory over sin and death. To his victory over his and our enemies. And so God may not always save you from shame or even death like he did David. But you can know with absolute certainty that he saved you through the shame and death of Jesus Christ. And whatever happens to you in this world, you have the future hope of the resurrection that is guaranteed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your troubles, your difficulties in this life may be great. You can get fired from a job. You can lose loved ones, mourn them. You can have sickness or health concerns or or someone you love dearly. Your friends or family may even turn against you. There are countless troubles that you can have in this life. And it may seem like the walls are closing in. But the promise of God in Jesus Christ is that you are a child of God in Jesus Christ. That when you lie down, sleep, and wake up again, the Lord will sustain you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that God has saved you through him and given you eternal life, if you truly believe this in your heart, you will be able to sleep in peace. You will be able to face the difficulties of this world, even death, with confidence in the strength and the power of the Lord, knowing that he will sustain you and that salvation completely belongs to him. It was necessary that Jesus Christ suffer first, then enter into glory. And you may now suffer in this world of trouble, but through faith in Jesus Christ, it is guaranteed that you will enter into glory with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation that you provide in Jesus Christ. We know that in this times of trouble, we often look to the wrong things, but now we cry out for you. That you will bring us out of any circumstances we have in this life. That you will work in our hearts to fully trust in you, in your sovereign providence and in your sovereign salvation. We praise you, Lord, our shield, our glory, the lifter of our heads. We know that every breath of life is a gift from you, the giver of all good things. And we praise you for the glorious salvation that is completely your work, that if you've given us in your son Jesus Christ and the resurrection hope that we hold on to in the future. We pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of salvation. Amen.